back to the Artful Gatherings podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Kirkland. And if you've been following along for a few weeks, then you may have noticed that it's been about a month since I have published a podcast episode. So normally I publish the podcast every other week, but I have taken the last month off to focus on some other things. So this is a very busy time of year for small business owners, which I am sure that you can imagine. Personally, I have had not one, not two, but three art shows within the last couple of weeks. In addition to releasing my new collection of paintings on November 15th. So needless to say, it has been quite the busy month and I did not want to half-heartedly release an episode that I didn't love. And I will also be the first to tell you to give yourself some slack. Nobody's perfect. There's no sense in trying to be. So I am practicing my own advice and I decided to take the month off instead of releasing an episode that was not awesome. So here we are back early December. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I'll say the other thing I'm working on, I thought about releasing a podcast episode about when the holidays are hard. And I asked about this on my Instagram stories a few weeks ago, and so many of you said that you would be interested in an episode like that. So I am actively thinking about what that episode should look like. I would love for you to share with me maybe some stories that you have or questions or maybe specific topics that you might be interested in having me talk about specifically related to when the holidays are hard and maybe when you're not really feeling so cheery and what to do, you know, things like that. So if you have anything that you would like to share or anything that you would like me to talk about on that podcast episode, which I will probably release in the next couple of weeks, please email me. So my email is hello at stephaniekirklandart.com, and I will include that in the show notes as well. But I would really, really love to hear from you all. Um, I think just based on the response I got on Instagram, there are so many of you I think that could benefit from an episode like that, including myself. I mean, the holidays can be hard for everybody, but it was it was just really interesting to me the number of people who responded and said that that would be helpful because I think that's something we don't talk about very often. We try to put up this face that things are fine, that we're, you know, you you know how it is. Um, but anyway, so please reach out if you have anything that you would like me to talk about for that episode. For today, we have a really interesting and insightful episode, I would say. So today I am interviewing my very good friend, Carolina Jodkabolska. And Carolina just did something very, very, very impressive and cool. So she has had a lifelong dream of being an author, and she has a book that is currently in the process of being published with Harper Collins, which is just amazing to me. Carolina is in her 30s, first-time author, and she is publishing a book with one of the biggest publishing houses in the entire world, which is so freaking cool. You can actually pre-order the book right now, and I will tell you a little bit more about that at the very end of the episode, so definitely stay tuned for that. But I had the pleasure of getting a sneak preview of the book, so I am actually in the process of reading it right now. I'm probably about two-thirds of the way through, and what the book is about is taking a break from alcohol, 
which is just an incredible thing to read about. You hear about Carolina's own story in the book about how she decided to take a break from alcohol and what that did for her. But there are a lot of things in the book about breaking down misconceptions about alcohol, things that you may not realize. It's become this thing that is very ingrained in society and in the way that we all interact with each other, especially from a social perspective. Like alcohol has become synonymous with social activities. And there's just a lot of things that Carolina talks about in the book that sort of makes you start to question the benefit of alcohol in your life, which sounds big and all-consuming, but it really it really kind of is. It's, it's pretty interesting. So you get to hear about her story, but you also get to hear about other people's stories about quitting alcohol and how that has unleashed their confidence and has allowed them to do these huge things that keeping alcohol in their life probably would have held them back from. So very, very interesting book. And then also towards the end, she gives you a step-by-step process for taking your own break from alcohol. It's an eight-week process that she walks you through week by week. And that is actually the piece of the book that I am on now. So on a personal note, Carolina was the one that opened my eyes to some things that I did not really realize about alcohol. And over the past year, I've kind of experimented with taking breaks off and on. And in reading Carolina's book this month, she has inspired me to do the full eight-week break, which she talks about the importance of that in her book. But I actually decided to start it at the beginning of December. So I am currently, what is that, about you know five days in or so. And I did that on purpose because I knew that I had several holiday parties coming up, including my birthday, which is in just a couple of days, and some other events where I knew that alcohol would be present. And I thought it would be a really interesting challenge to start this exercise, this eight-week break now, to sort of challenge myself with these very specific events to see, you know, just as an exercise of willpower. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I will keep you guys updated on that. But so my eight-week break will be in December and January. Now, the book actually becomes available to the public in January at the very beginning of the month. So... I would, you know, if if you listen to this episode and this sounds like something you might be interested in, I would highly recommend getting the book and then you can join us in January and we can all kind of go through it together. So at that point, I'll be in my that second half of my eight-week break, but um, I would be elated for you to try it out. I think it's it's an interesting topic, which you will hear about in today's episode. So I won't spoil that, but just to give you a little preview, so we both talk about changes that we've seen when we take breaks from alcohol. Carolina also talks about a lot of misconceptions that we have in our society about how alcohol relaxes us or how alcohol is good for our heart health. There there are a lot of things that she shows how they're not as accurate as, you know, we may think for various reasons. Um, She also gives you a few tips about what to do if this sounds like something you're interested in. And also she tells us about how she got her six-figure book deal with one of the largest publishing houses in the world, which is just amazing. But really, if you think about it, like this conversation is about defying societal expectations. Now, I will say 
in the brief experiments that I've had with taking a break from alcohol, it is fascinating how much pressure, especially peer pressure, you will get to continue drinking, which is just a fascinating thing. As I hear Carolina say pretty frequently, she'll say, you know, we never peer pressure a vegetarian into eating meat, right? Like we just see vegetarianism as this healthy thing that somebody is doing to better their life and better their health. But when it comes to alcohol, alcohol has this really interesting effect in our society where people get really triggered when you say that you are not taking part in it for whatever reason. And it's just interesting to unpack that a little bit and to think about why that may be and to question maybe the value that it is or is not bringing to your life in a very real sense. So that's what we're talking about today. I would say keep an open mind. Think about maybe some things that you've experienced. And I would be really curious to see what you think about this episode. So every episode, there is a post, a corresponding post on my website. So if you go to stephaniekirklandart.com slash podcast and you scroll to the bottom, find this episode, click it, and then scroll to the bottom of the page, there is a comments section. So I think this episode in particular could spur some pretty interesting conversations. I would love for you to leave a comment there. It can be anonymous if you like, or, you know, use a a pen name or, you know, just some fake name if you would like, but I would love to see what you think and maybe start a conversation in that comment section and see what other people say. Um, Because I would venture a guess to say that Carolina and myself and all of her, you know, all the clients that she works with, like, we're not the only ones thinking that we don't really love alcohol, right? Like there's probably more people out there than you would realize. So anyway, it's an important conversation. It's a really fun episode. So without further ado, here is my interview with Carolina. Carolina, it's so good to see you. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? I am doing well. What about you? I'm doing great. Saturday morning. It's a sunny day. I'm feeling good. Sounds wonderful. It is sunny here as well, so I'm looking forward to maybe busting out the kayak today or something fun like that. Oh, that's so cool. Do you live next to like a lake or a river? Or what's Yeah, there, the, so there is a lake like right across the street from my house, so we don't live on the lake, but um, but yeah, it's so nice. Just, you know, get out in nature as much as you possibly can is my yeah, philosophy. Nice. Yeah. And actually, you just got back home, didn't you? I did. I went to the concrete jungle of New York. Uh, It was my birthday last weekend. So New York is definitely my favorite city in the US um, and even a world contender. But I grew up going to New York when I was in high school. I used to dance ballet and I'd go to ballet school in the summers in New York. So it just grew on me and I fell in love with it as a, as a teenager. Um, and I haven't been back since 2016 or so. Uh, oh, wow. that, that's when I was in high school. That was just the last time I was there. And, um, it was just a, such a nice trip. Like I would go downstairs from my hotel and go grab like a green juice from like the bodegas. They all serve juices now. They're not like these unhealthy bodegas. They all mm-hmm. cater to like the health trends. Um, just walk around the city. Um, I, uh, I'm not eating meat at the moment either. So I was looking at like new vegan spots and just like trying to find, um, cool places to hang out in. And it was just a lot of fun. I went biking around Central Park and then I biked around the streets of New York, which 
I thought was going to be the most terrifying experience in the world, but I did it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I would imagine that would be terrifying as well. Um, and actually, I was watching your Instagram stories. You came across, I don't know if it was just one or it may even have been several, but like shops that were specializing in alcohol-free drinks. I did. I, that was cool. I did. I did. So I found what I was just, okay. So, um, you know, I don't drink. I've been not drinking for about four years, but I walked across Greenwich Village. It was such a beautiful day. I think it was my birthday. And all of a sudden I see a woman passing out little samples of this drink called Gia or Gia. I'm not sure how you say it, but it's like this Italian spritz kind of a drink. And I'm like, oh, I've heard of that. And so I try some and then I look like right in front of her. She's standing in front of this like alcohol-free, super cute boutique shop. So I go inside and there is just like the mother load of selection. There are so many alcohol-free wines and then all these really cool, I guess you'd call them some of them are mixed cocktails and some of them are, I guess you'd call them spirits, but they're not really trying to be alcohol, right? So like they, like one, for example, it takes on these like dark flavors of fig and honey and um, other kind of bitter notes like oak and whatever, what they put in there. But they try to really create these like curated drinks that not necessarily mimic alcohol, but mimic some kind of adult complex flavor, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool and really taking off lately. Um, so I got a few things that I could try while I was in New York, not like the big bottles, but I got like a few spritzes and stuff. And then I talked with the the person who was working there for forever. And I was like, maybe we can do an event here. Maybe we'll do a book signing here. That would be was, so fun. I know. It was so cool to see. And then I walked across another shop who was doing like seed lip tasting. So I got some seed lip there. And I was just like, what a cool, what a cool world. Not only am I finding alcohol-free shops, I'm finding vegan French restaurants. It's just like the world is changing to yeah. a more healthier lifestyle and it feels really cool when you're the one you know in that lifestyle and you're being catered to you know yeah yeah for sure well the last time you were in new york were you alcohol free at that point no no that was um like six years ago no so i wasn't i was a 20 something nope because <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah i was gonna ask if mate like i'd be curious to know and i know you probably don't know this but like whether those shops are new you know for sure. That one that one shop is just this year. They they opened this year and, and they used to have um there was a mocktail bar, I think that opened before the pandemic, and sadly some of those places just all kind of bars or you know, just new places kind yeah. of closed down during the pandemic. But hopefully they'll be back soon too. Yeah. I know. It's so interesting. I've just I feel like I've just seen so many articles lately and just all kinds of things about people going alcohol free, especially since the pandemic, especially, I mean, I know, I think it was kind of starting to gain steam before that, but um, it's just interesting to sort of see this whole new cultural movement that seems to be happening all over the place, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's happening. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Well, we should probably back up a little bit and tell people who you are and why we're, you know, why we're talking about this. So give us a quick snapshot, um, who you are, what you do, why you're here today. Yay. My name is Karolina Zodkowolska. It's a crazy Polish last name. I am the daughter of immigrants who came here in the eighties. Um, but today what I do is I'm an alcohol-free life coach and an author about on a book coming out this January called Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. And I am obsessed with this topic because I have found with my own experience and other people that I get to work with that giving ditching alcohol is like the catalyst to so much transformation in your life. 
And I'm not talking about just people who might struggle with drinking too much and struggle with like a, a dependency on alcohol. I'm talking about the way we've all been socialized and conditioned to drink. You know, it's pretty regular. It's it's a lot. It's all tied into so many things in our lives and kind of reevaluating that. And then, you know, I first started my journey by just taking a break from it and my world exploded. I mean, literally my world exploded. Um, and since then, that happened in 2018. I've just been on fire to go after my biggest goals. I mean, basically, like, as a drinker, I thought I just had to settle. I just had this nine-to-five job. Maybe I'll get a promotion there, but who knows? You know, I worked in higher ed, so, like, for a long time, if you didn't have a PhD, you, you know, you're, like, your ceiling was actually capped, right? And I was just going on, like, I would I would try to have healthy, productive weeks, but I just couldn't wait for the weekend just to let loose. And I never recognized how much that was driven by like this deeper unfulfillment in what I was doing. Um, and so not only <clears throat> did I go alcohol free, I started sharing it with the world. I became certified as a coach. I built a community. I built a business. I, you know, I, I left my day job and now I have a book coming out. Like I got a book deal, which is still something I have to pinch myself around. My whole life changed. Um, and the thing, the cool thing is, is that it's not just my story. Like, everyone's story has this kind of like really cool magic to it, you know, because there's so many reasons why alcohol affects us from a neurochemical level and um, just can keep us really stuck in the same routine in a same pattern in the same habit. And you break outside of that and suddenly everything is possible. And I've seen it, you know, I've seen it make such a bigger difference than like any other lifestyle change you could make for your health or diet, you know, like, giving up sugar or going gluten-free or something like that. And yet at the same time, it drives me nuts that it's not as acceptable as those things, right? Like mm -hmm. changing your diet, deciding to stop eating meat or, you know, whatever it looks like, those are all such normal things. And yet you take a break from alcohol and you're still going to be asked those questions. Did you have a problem? Are you pregnant? You know, mm -hmm. as if everybody on this planet is supposed to drink and, and put up with it. I mean, nobody feels good after drinking like in the next day, right? And we put up with it as a society. It's crazy to me now looking back, but that's my story in a nutshell. I'm super passionate about this topic and just super interested in having, laying more curiosity around this phenomenon in our society. Like really being a sociologist who doesn't just accept things as the status quo, but really starts putting more assumptions in the same kind of conditioning or cultural norms or societal expectations we have around how we socialize or how we relate to each other or what we do to vent and let off stress. Um, I want to change all that up. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. There's so much to talk about. Um, yeah. I mean, I think just talking about the last thing you said about going against societal expectations, like I think that's one thing that makes this topic so very interesting because like you said, it is something that is so ingrained in our everyday lives. Like it's just become this thing that we are constantly marketed to. And we, um, you know, it's, it's shown as being socially acceptable and it is, but it's also doing all of this damage to our bodies and to our mental health and all of these other things. So it's just, yeah, it's super interesting taking this, um, I guess, stance, if you will, against this thing that you no is not good for you, which is so admirable, I think, in helping yeah. other people. Yeah. And something that something that really kept me stuck with that too is that like 
I didn't feel like there was permission to do it before. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's because it's such a culturally ingrained thing. And then we grow up and we hear, you know, some person, some cousin of some cousin, you know, started drinking vodka every day and like had to go to AA and, you know, become an alcoholic for the rest of his life. Or we see a movie like Leaving Las Vegas or, you know, we hear we have these kind of stereotypes in our world of what it means to have an issue with alcohol and what it means to have to quit drinking. And oftentimes, like, 99.99% of people I come across, that's not their story. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Those are the very extremes. And most people live in this gray, you know? Like, I get to do this research and really get to know these facts intimately because of what I do. But up towards 60 to 70% of people drink in an unhealthy way. And the reason for that is because the health guidelines and standards are ridiculously low, right? Mm -hmm. And so nobody's really doing it right. <laughs> nobody's really staying within that. Um, and so we all have a little complicated relationship with alcohol if we're willing to, you know, if we're willing to really look at it. If we drink more than one drink at a time or we have it many times during the week or we use it, you know, after after work to just relax and stuff like that, there's this some kind of relationship going on there where alcohol helps you achieve a state you believe you can't achieve on your own. And it ultimately becomes this like disempowering thing. Um, but back to, you know, back to this like them or us, we put up with it. You know, this black and white definitions that we put, it actually really kept me stuck for a long time because I did not consider myself an alcoholic. I did not, you know, have a problem with alcohol in my house. I did not drink in the morning, like all the things, right, that like I drink socially and on the weekend. And yeah, every single Monday morning I woke up feeling like shit. And every single Monday morning, I was like, this needs to change. And then it was some social event that always kept me stuck in the loop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was really doing dry January for the first time that really like opened my eyes like, oh, I can take a break and it doesn't have to mean anything about me. It doesn't have to like pigeonhole me and I don't have to start going to AA meetings and all that stuff. And now there's just so many more options with it. Like there's really an alcohol-free movement afoot. Uh, a sober curious kind of movement where literally anyone's allowed to reevaluate the role of alcohol in their lives. And you don't have to attach a stigma to it. You don't have to attach a label to it. You don't have to go to any kind of meetings if you don't want to. You know what I mean? There's just so many more options today. And I'm just so thankful for that because I don't know, like you still hear it today. Like, oh, are you pregnant? Like there's no acceptable way to not Mm -hmm. drink unless you really had a problem and then people just feel bad for you. Yep. Yep. I get that a lot. I'm in the middle of a, I guess about a 20 day break. So this will actually be the second, I guess, sort of official break that I have done. And um, it is interesting. You get that question all the time. Oh, like you're not drinking. You must be pregnant. It's like, no, I just want to feel better. (laughs) And I feel better when I'm not drinking. Um, Yeah. It's just, it is interesting how people make these assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about what that early journey looked like for you. And then like, as you started experimenting with taking a break, like what did you notice? What changes did you notice and what made you continue on with it? How did you realize that this was something you like wanted to commit to fully? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I I start by sharing often that it started with this dry January, but it kind of glosses over the fact that for years before that, I had been always trying to drink less. I was around 30 at that point um, while I partied super, super hard when I was younger, like 
definitely really overdrink in a very unhealthy way, which I'm sure is very common in college. Um, I really tried to tone it down as I got older. I was really into, you know, healthy lifestyles, green juices, going to yoga classes, all that kind of stuff. And I felt like I was living this black and white life, you know, during the week, it was super healthy during the weekend, it got out of hand. Um, and so I was always trying to drink less every year. I even tried to drink less and I, and I did. Right. So I was successful in that, in that goal, but it took up so much mental space, so many rules. You know, I had so many rules, no more than two drinks at this occasion, you know, drink the water here. Don't drink on this day. Da, da, da. And it was this mental gymnastics, honestly, that was driving me insane. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it almost didn't matter what I did. Either I broke my rules, which then made me feel like shit, made me lower my self-esteem, made me feel like I couldn't trust myself, or I stayed by my rules and I still felt crappy the next day because alcohol is a huge like poison that we have to detox, you know, like and especially as women get older, even like one glass of wine or two glasses of wine or one IPA, like that I felt it the next day. So mm-hmm. I was like, great. Even when I stick to my rules, I still wake up not feeling my best. So what the hell is the point? Anyway, so it's just this internal turmoil I'm having for years and years and years, not feeling like I'm allowed to change. And then finally, you know, I hear dry January and I'm like, oh, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do dry January. And I had this very, I'll call peaceful month. I, you know, started to learn how to be comfortable in my skin, like learning how to just like be in a social occasion, not drinking, like actually gave me a sense of like, I'm safe to just be me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a huge introvert. And so I kind of grew up thinking that alcohol turned me into the extrovert I wanted to be and that I like used it to become more confident and more, you know, talkative and whatnot. And I didn't realize that I had this fundamental limiting belief that I actually thought I was not an interesting person to talk to if I didn't drink, which is crazy, Mm -hmm. right? When you say it like that, but I did. And so even with my family, and my, some of my closest friends, I had this deep insecurity that I was not fun to be with if I wasn't drinking. And so just learning to like, okay, I'm safe in my own body. I'm safe in my own experience being just the authentic version of me was really, really eye-opening. And I just remember having these really wholesome, holistic moments, like laughing with my niece and playing board games with my husband. But I really just took a break. So it was just this behavior change that I did. And so I started drinking again in February and it was so uncanny in the way that I had the most amazing time in January, but it was, it almost felt like I went on a vacation and I had this beautiful experience. And there was a part of me that's like, wow, why not live your life like this? Why not always be on vacation? Why not like seize the day more often, do the things that make you happy? You know, like we just do more on vacation. It's Mm -hmm. crazy. Right. And then I came home from this vacation and was just like, oh, that was crazy talk. I have to go back to my nine to five. I have to go back to this miserable life. And that was my same kind of thinking with drinking. Like, I'm an adult. I have to drink. There's no other way around this, right? And so I started drinking again. And I only drank a few times and very small amounts that I would, I mean, I would consider small amounts. And I was so hyper aware to how that affected me. Like, I would have two beers, I remember one time. And all of a sudden, I was picking fights with my husband. Like, I was on this high before. And I just, like, went to this super low, super cranky, super frustrated literally starting a fight over nothing, right? And I was like, whoa, what happened to my mood? Like, why did it affect my mood so fast? That's crazy. My sleep was horrible, even after just like one drink. Like, it was so stark, the difference. And I just like didn't like how I was experiencing it at all. And I think that hyper contrast like really made me aware to something I wasn't noticing before when it was more regular part of my life. 
So I committed to another break. And so I said, okay, I'll do another 30 days. And this time, the second time, I really dived deep. Instead of just making the behavior change, I dived really deep into the mindset. I recognized that there were beliefs and thoughts I had around alcohol that made me associate with it benefits, comfort, and pleasure. And I was like, until I change these beliefs, I will miss it when I'm not drinking, you know? And so I read so many books and I listened to podcasts and I did a program or two and I just like really, really was ruthless about naming all the like limiting beliefs I had around drinking or the thoughts that I thought that alcohol did for me and really examining them. Like we have this belief, for example, that alcohol relaxes Mm -hmm. us. It's probably the number one reason we drink, right? You have a stressful day, you have any day and you, and you come home on a Friday and you're like, yes, a glass of wine will feel great. It'll turn off my work concerns. I can switch into the weekend and just unwind. And yet ironically, alcohol induces the release of stress hormones in our body. Mm -hmm. It induces the release of cortisol, adrenaline, and another neurochemical called dynorphin, which is actually responsible not only for making us feel wired, but also really low. They found that people who commit suicide have very high levels of dynorphin in their brain. It's like, okay, well, that's crazy sauce, right? (laughs) And sometimes it's hard to physically experience this, but I don't know if you've ever had a drink like maybe at lunchtime or like at a barbecue, and then you have to like carry on with your day a few hours later. Like you just feel off, you feel tired, grumpy, you know, all these things. Uh, we also experience it really heavily if you ever wake up in the middle of the night after drinking or in the morning. I mean, the morning is like crazy town in my brain. I was so anxious, so ruminating in my thoughts. And I could really feel it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Like alcohol just turns off my brain for a few minutes, like 20 minutes. But then I have this crazy crash into anxiety. It's not relaxing me. And really juxtaposing that like scientific truth with my own experience started for me to rewrite my story. Alcohol does not relax me. Alcohol does not relax me. It heightens my anxiety, right? Same thing with socializing. I thought it made me more confident. In reality, I was actually way more insecure. My mind was thinking like, do I have wine teeth? Did they see me reach for another? Is this someone I know? You know, I was going crazy. I was super insecure when I was out there socializing. So I started to just change these fundamental beliefs I had around alcohol And that's when it all clicked. Like that's where not only was I making the behavior change and experiencing the benefits, but I also started to not want to drink. And by the time I got to 30, 60, 80 days, you know, like I was on fire. Not only were there incredible physical benefits, I was sleeping so well. I had super high energy. I also found like little delights I hadn't experienced in a long time, like laughter. Like I, I don't remember laughing as hard as I did then since I was like, a teenager before I started drinking in the first place. There was this like innocent optimism that just came back to me. And, um, you know, I had these incredible experiences too, because so for so long I was drinking for fun that I didn't actually know what gave me fun. So I started just exploring the world again. I started doing new things. I tried like paddleboard yoga. I started like waking up to watch the sunrise. I started riding my bike more. I started going more places like the symphony And it was just such this like beautiful experience that was literally euphoric for me. And that's when I like kind of really hit upon that word. Euphoric is the name of my company, my book and my brand. I was like, this is what it feels like to go alcohol free. And, you know, as that happiness kind of just overtook me, there's also something that really profound happened to my confidence because this was my Achilles heel for years. You know, like I was trying to tame it down and rein it in and control it for years and I was smashing it. Like alcohol was never winning. I was on top all the time, you know? And with that confidence, you know, even just doing something you've never done before, like 
your first weekend without drinking. Then you get to 21 days, 30 days, 50 days, and you're like, who the hell goes 50 days without drinking? I'm superwoman. This is amazing. And that confidence starts to spill out. And for me, it really started spilling out into so much. You know, I had I had dreams of writing a book ever since I was a little girl. I I was so jealous and so inspired by people who live these freedom lifestyles, you know, that own their own businesses and travel whenever they want. And I just didn't think those things were possibilities for me. And I never thought having fun on the weekend without drinking was a possibility either. And yet here I was having a blast, right? And so it started to crumble these other assumptions I made about myself. And I was like, well, what if I could write a book? What if I could launch a business? And so this like euphoric high that I had really started translating into like, what is going to give me meaning and purpose? What is going to really fulfill me? You know, the fact that alcohol is such a dopamine manipulator, it really releases this high artificial level dopamine in our brain, just like cocaine, just like heroin, it robs us of finding what brings us true organic joy. Right. And I was finding it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. as I was just beating this, like smashing my self-limiting beliefs and really like applying myself, I started, you know, I launched my website. I started talking about alcohol-free living and blogging. I started getting certified as a coach. And every little step I took on that road just made me feel even more like a badass. Like I'm defying what I ever thought was possible for me. And it's so funny because I always thought my first year alcohol-free would just be this crazy personal growth experience, the craziest highs I've ever won because it, it really had the deepest contract to, contrast to who I used to be. And then it'd kind of settle out from there. You know what I mean? You just kind of get used to it and whatnot. And yet I keep growing. I keep growing so much. It's insane. Like last year was the best year I've ever had. And I thought that that could only be beat, you know, by the first year I went alcohol free. And I think you asked like, why did I decide to finally commit to this? You know, these epiphanies I was having, this happiness I was experiencing, this like real drive to attain something meaningful in my life, I'd never experienced it before, ever, ever, ever. And I compared all this goodness and I could see just even more. If I keep following this path, there's going to be even more, even more, even more. And I compared it to a beer that I had had in my life maybe 5,000 times. And I'm like, do I give this all up for a beer? that I've been there, done that. I know that life. I know that experience. I know that feeling. I know everything about that. I know how I wake up in the morning. I know it. Or do I start chasing this person who I know I could become without it? And it was just clear to me, you know, like there was clear to me that I'm not meant to be normal on this planet, you know, that there is something exceptional within us. And choosing to decide to go alcohol-free over fitting in for me was this radical radical decision to choose me in my dreams. Oh my gosh. Love that. Absolutely love your story. And I can relate to so much of what you're saying too, especially with the first break and then the second break. Cause I also had a very stark contrast where it was like the first break was purely experimental. And I remember, you know, in some ways just trying to get through those 30 days because you would have social functions that would come up or you would have you know, things that would just happen where, you know, normally in our society, people are drinking and I would be sort of the lone man out not doing it because I was committed to this 30 day challenge. And I remember at the time, like noticing all these things, like you mentioned, you know, better sleep, waking up, feeling incredibly energized. I actually had the time and energy to pour into things like art, like a very similar, you know, experience that you're describing with this business and this book, like passion that you had. Um, 
But then, interestingly enough, when I got to the end of the 30 days, I thought, oh, okay, well, I'm done with that. Now I can go back to, you know, whatever I decide I want to do. And um, started doing sort of that back and forth where it was like, oh, well, sometimes I will, sometimes I won't. But then that mental turmoil, exactly like you're describing, like it almost makes it more difficult than just going cold turkey. And then it's interesting being in the middle of the second break now, it is completely and totally different. Because the first time it was like, I think I thought like in my mind, I was thinking I was like depriving myself, you know, and I think that's what makes it difficult, especially when you do start, you know, experimenting and like you haven't done the mindset work like like you're talking about. But this time it's like, no, I know what it feels like to wake up even after having one glass of wine. Like there's a noticeable difference in how I feel the next day and not only how I feel, but what I am like physically capable of doing, whether that's, you know, do I feel like going for a run? Do I feel like making a painting today? And most of the time, if I've had something the night before, the answer is no, you know, and it's, but it's, you know, I'm about 20 days in now and like, the desire just isn't there because I know what the contrast is. So it's just, it's so interesting. I think how all of these things can start to unravel as you just start experimenting, like you say. Yes. Oh, I love your story too, because I think what it shows is this big myth we have that if you were to go alcohol free, you would always miss it. You'd always feel deprived. You'd always, you know, it's something that like you're being a saint and you're not allowing yourself this amazing pleasure in life. And it, it's completely the opposite when you really do the mindset work, right? I know people who don't do the mindset mm-hmm. work, they're still living in deprivation land. But when you really do the mindset work and start really, really leaning into the benefits and this, this explosion of who you could be with this upward spiral of a momentum, you know, like you wake up one day, you feel like running and painting. The next day you do too, like it just doesn't stop, right? Obviously you can take breaks and slow down and whatever uh, in your momentum, but there's not mm-hmm. this huge. And it's always a choice happens, versus right? I think, you know, when you're constantly drinking, it's like, again, even if you just have one or two, you can wake up the next day and it doesn't even feel like a choice at that point because your whole body just feel like your body exactly. is literally recovering from you having poisoned it the night before. <laughs> We're just being honest. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot. Yeah. It takes a big toll on the body. Right. And And I love how you say that, like it doesn't even become a choice anymore. It's Mm -hmm. just decided for you, the habit decided for you. But, you know, when you get to this place of really working on the mindset and you're just so high to keep exploring what these benefits will give you, you literally don't want it anymore. And that's that's the point. The point isn't to deprive yourself. The point is to get to a point where you're just Mm -hmm. not the type of person who finds that alluring. I mean, let's think of so many different examples. Like a lot of people dabble and smoke cigarettes when they're in college or their younger years. And by the time they're 30, 40, whatever, mm-hmm. you couldn't pay them to smoke a cigarette. No. It's not alluring to them, right? Like there's – you see people smoking. It's not like, oh, I wish I was them. It's like, oh, they still smoke? You know, like it's the same kind of thing. Like to me drinking, I just immediately think of like that tannic like cloying after breath after, you know, like after sleeping not well. I immediately think of that like anxiety, you know, I just, I, it's not alluring to me at all. And so I put it on that shelf of things that I choose not to do yeah. so that I can live my best life. Right. And what's so amazing about, you know, what I think you're, you're, you're getting on is something deeper. I think, I think we all drink 
I think it's nobody's fault. I think everybody is not to blame. I think literally we are conditioned by our society to drink. Like it is a rite of passage in our teenage years. Maybe you're a little older, 20 something, whatever, but it's a rite of passage. It happens to all of us. And then we're heavily marketed in so many ways to have this be a construct in our lives. And it's the social fabric everywhere. So we all have that. Plus it's a huge habit. Like if, if something's a habit, like that's really strong, you add alcohol and like the substance and the actual like chemical properties of it, it's really, really hard to break. So those are like just two factors everyone's working against kind of a thing. But then you add on your unique kind of relevance, your unique reason why, you know, it really did become a habit for you. And something you said really just like clicked something in me where like you wake up and you don't have the Mm -hmm. choice to have it decided for you. And for me, it was like this when I was younger, I had these dreams of like winning the Nobel Prize and writing books and just having this crazy, crazy life. And I felt such like I felt so um, disillusioned by the time I became an adult and like none of that's going to be possible for me. I just have to settle. I just have to settle. And so when I drank on the weekend, of course, I wasn't expected to write the next great American novel. Of course, I wasn't expected to launch a business on the side. You know, alcohol already decided for me, right? And it was this subconscious way of literally withdrawing from my dreams and what I really wanted from my life without me ever having to consciously decide it. Oh, of course. Yeah, it absolutely does. I think too, like that makes me think of just like in some ways, it's so much easier to just go along with the crowd, drink the glass of wine, you know, do the thing that everybody else is doing. Because it's just this like split second decision. Everybody approves of it. You know, everybody in quotes, not everybody, but it seems like everybody approves of it. And that in some ways is so much easier than going after this big dream that in your mind, you're like, well, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, what if it doesn't? I really want this thing, but what if I fail? You know, like that's so much harder, but also you know, compare the rewards too. like the rewards for that second thing is so much greater than going through the motions and then spending your entire life, not only doing the exact same thing, but feeling the exact same way, which is actually pretty crappy all the time, which no one likes, you know? Yeah, you got it so, so well. And, you know, that's something that I love this example is like, it does take a lot of bravery to go alcohol-free. It takes bravery to tell someone. It takes mm-hmm. bravery to order a mocktail at a restaurant. You know, a lot of restaurants have great menus now and will know what to do. And some will look at you and be like, what is a mocktail, right? It takes a lot of bravery. But this bravery you have to go outside of societal norms is also the bravery that you yeah. need to go after anything you want in life. I mean, if you look at statistics over just like, what the norm is in our society. The norm is to be very unhealthy and overweight. The norm is Mm -hmm. to be depressed, you know, and not fulfilled by your career. The norm is to be in debt. The the norms suck, honestly, right? And so you have to choose to go outside of the norms if you want to live a happy, fulfilled life. And this is kind of like a training ground in, in a fun, weird way, you know? Yeah, so cool. And I think, you know, something else I thought about when we were talking about earlier, I think it's just important to remind people too that like, I think you and I have been experimenting with this idea for quite some time. I know you have much longer than me, but it does take work because you are 
going against so many factors, just the science of how alcohol works in your brain, the marketing, the societal pressures, the fear, you know, there's so many factors. So I think like, it's important to remember, like, you know, don't beat yourself up if you start experimenting with this and it doesn't go perfectly the first time. Like it's probably not going to go perfectly the first time, but you know, if this is something that continues to come up for you and you're really interested in, you know, exploring this further, continuing to go after it is the only way that you're ever going to see any significant change. And it'll just continue to get better and better and better. And you just have to have grace with yourself during the process, I think. Oh, absolutely. It's such a journey. And and like we, you know, there's no like black and white fixes and there's no like snapping the fingers, but like we've had decades and decades of this conditioning you know, that like alcohol is, is a relaxer and part of our social fabric and all this stuff. And to think that you could reverse that, right. you know, even in a month is insane, right? So give yourself grace. And, you know, like, I think that's what's cool about this new sober curious term is that it's this curiosity that you're applying to your this habit. And you don't have to fit into any kind of bucket or not, you know, like, my decision to go alcohol free completely isn't some kind of prohibitionist stance. It's not some kind of like, I don't know. It, to me, it was this like stark realization that either I go for normal or I go for exceptional. And exceptional is my is my alcohol free self. And there was just this like burning desire to do that, you know. But like, there's something to be said, I think, in just being curious and and mindfully looking at this. And maybe it's taking breaks, and then you know you go back. But you're learning so much about yourself in the process, you know, right? And I think when what you really know, what you really know your intuition is guiding you, they will eventually, he or she, she will eventually guide you there. And the learning, the learning you have along the journey is what's the most profound thing. Like I like to say, sobriety is not the point. It's who you become in the process. Because look at all the things you learn. You learn how to actually take care of your needs. Like you come home stressed for, after a busy day. Yes, you need something. You need to relax. You need to soothe yourself. And you learn how to actually take care of that and meet that need with no negative side effects at the end of the next day, right? You yeah. learn what you really want, right? You learn what you really, really want. And you learn just so much about yourself and like what it means to be a person versus someone who yeah. is just like a follower, right? And so it's, it's, it's an intriguing journey. And like that bravery you're building, that confidence you're building – it's about who you're becoming. It's not about the actual, like, I seriously, I say this sometimes. I don't care what people drink at the end of the day. I give two shits. I don't care. You know, I'm not like a prohibitionist. It's more of like, I care that yeah. you're alive to your potential. Yeah. yeah. And you I just want about. people to feel as amazing as you do. And you, I mean, I am convinced that I think we would all be happier and more vibrant and, you know, all the good words if we let this thing go that really is just not serving us, you know? And I am so curious to see how that's going to play out because like I believe I believe that this is going to go the way that cigarettes did eventually. For example, the American Cancer Society in 2020 said, don't drink. Like if you don't want to have cancer, don't drink at all. Right. Not like one glass here, one glass there. They're just like flat out. It's best not to drink. Um, we have studies that say that there is no safe amount of drinking. We have studies that show that a bottle of wine is the equivalent of 10 cigarettes. Yeah that a woman can smoke, right? These insane things. So it's not only just the, like we're at the front of the bell curve of people like forward thinking, people going on this new lifestyle. I really think it's going to, you know, hit our mainstream society as well. And we're just going to keep having more 
mocktail bars and alcohol-free drinks and there's sober raves out there. Like we move, I think, towards a more healthy society over time. And this is just going to be one of those examples. So I like to think of it like, would you rather be in the front of the bell curve yeah. or one of those like last stragglers? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, well, I guess, you know, going back to talking about, you know, how somebody might actually do this. And I know that you work with clients all the time on this. Um, but what are just, you know, some pieces of advice that you would give to people who are, you know, they've, they're, maybe their eyes have been opened by the things we've talked about today and they're starting to think, oh, hey, maybe I should experiment with this. What, what do you recommend? What should they kind of start doing and thinking about? So I recommend taking a break. And why I say that, a break that has a specific number of days that you commit to. I say that because one forever is not a goal, right? Like I'm going to quit drinking is like the old fashioned way of doing it. And it's not a real goal because when are you successful when you die, right? It also is like way too intimidating and our brain never wants to do it. It's way too much of a jump and a leap. So commit to a set number of days. And when it's hard at the beginning, you're just like, well, it's fine. I can drink later. I'm just not drinking now. Tell your brain that, right? Like there's a little two-year-old in there. Just tell your brain that. So commit to a set number of days, like just like mm -hmm. you did, whatever, 30 days, 60 days, whatever you decide. Um, and that also it like goes against the whole saying like one day at a time, because one day at a time is so many decisions. Every day you have to decide not mm -hmm. to, right? So there's this like freedom, I think, in just saying, I'm just not doing this for this period of time. I'm going to fully commit. And what I love to, you know, help people do as they're going through that commitment, that, that break that they're doing, and start to really lean into the benefits. So every day, write like three amazing gifts that you got the day before because you didn't drink. Maybe it's like the really good sleep you had. Maybe you had like a, a little bit of a deeper uh, conversation with your partner than you usually do. Like you actually kind of stopped for a moment and really kind of like heard them. Maybe that's not a regular thing when you guys are just running around all the time. Maybe you had like a belly laugh that you haven't had in a long time, you know, like just write these things down. Um, and then as you want to work on your mindset as well with alcohol, I ask every single one of my clients why they like to drink. And these, these reasons, if you're ever done any personal growth work or limiting belief work, these reasons, like 10 reasons I like to drink, say I like to relax, uh, I like to, it makes me more social, I like the taste, all these stuff. You're going to start putting these 10 reasons almost as if they're hypothesis like a scientist would have, and you're going to try to garner alternative evidence to see to prove if you can prove the opposite, right? And go about your experience and really think of these as assumptions, not laws of gravity. It's an assumption that alcohol relaxes you. It's an assumption, you know, that you like the taste. Yes, we are uh, conditioned to like the taste over time, but think about it. When we were kids, like teenagers, mm -hmm. alcohol was disgusting, right? Dogs will not go near it. Like animals don't go near alcohol for the most part because they smell, they can smell the tox, the, the poison alcohol part of it. You know, I've, uh, I've had like a drop or two of alcohol of like wine or beer or something. And all I can taste is rubbing alcohol now. It's so strong to me. It's so incredible. And I was so, my brain and my taste buds tolerated it. They got to such a level where they didn't taste that anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's so fascinating. And obviously, too, there's so many alcohol-free drinks that you can drink if you love the taste, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. Well, great. Then you drink these alcohol-free drinks. You know, there should be no difference, really. So it's not really the taste, usually, if you do think there's a difference. Um, so all these just different things really start garnering evidence for the opposite to be true and just 
just like a scientist would. Like we have this hypothesis, but maybe the opposite of the hypothesis is true. And so that's kind of this experiment you're going on. That's a great word for it. And, you know, as you go, like allow yourself to celebrate every win. Every single day is a win that you go. And one little, this is just like a hack. This isn't a mindset tool, but one little hack that I love is when you, you want to track your progress because tracking um, really releases, like when we cross something off of a list, it releases a hit of dopamine. We love, you know, to cross things off lists, give ourselves gold stars. And so my little trick for that is instead of waiting till the end of the day that you've accomplished another day without drinking, give yourself the check mark in the morning. So in the morning, when you have no temptation, when you're like, your resolution's the highest, you're the most like gung-ho about achieving your goals in the morning, right? Actually give yourself a check mark already that you didn't drink that day. Do it in a couple places. Do it in a calendar, do it in a notebook, you know, whatever. Do it in an app. And then when it comes time to your like usual drinking time, you're just like not going to want to go back and erase that progress that you already made. You already decided this morning and you already like committed to it on paper. Um, I use this little trick today. So like I'm about 80% plant-based and so I'll have times where I do eat meat when I'm like traveling or just going out and then times when I really don't want to eat it at all. You know, right now I'm in like a four month, I haven't eaten any meat or fish and if I just kind of wishy-washy about it and someone offers me a pepperoni pizza, I love pepperoni pizza, you know? I'm going to just want to go for it, even if I'm trying not to eat meat. But if I already marked off in the morning that I am not didn't eat meat today, it just doesn't register as an option. You know, all I see is the vegetarian pizza options. I'm not even looking at the pepperoni pizza. So that's a little, like, hack that I like to use uh, for any kind of habit in my life. But uh, I think it's a good one, too, here. So lean into the benefits like hell, actually commit to a break, you know, start working on that mindset, start taking the reasons why you like to drink and ask yourself, are they fundamentally actually true or not? It's really similar to like any belief work we do, you know, like money doesn't grow on trees. Is that really true? Like, aren't there examples of very, you know, rich people who created a lot of value out of almost nothing, you know, it's really similar kind of personal growth work. And that's why I love teaching what I teach is that it really is all about your personal growth at the end of the day. It's like, it's training you to take the thoughts and beliefs that just run on autopilot in your brain and actually putting awareness to them and maybe even reversing them. And when you can reverse them, I mean, you can be a totally different person. You know what I mean? Anything is possible. So it not only teaches you how to do it in this one domain, you then can do it for anything, right? And I think- you and me, Stephanie, are both really into that kind of stuff. Like we change our beliefs about what's possible for our career. We change our beliefs about what's possible with making money. We change all of our beliefs, hopefully, so that we can live a more empowered lifestyle and not fall victim to the survivalist negative brain that we yeah, all kind of Yeah, inherited. for sure. <laughs> well, and speaking about all those benefits, I mean, you have worked with so many clients and like you've seen this transformation in yourself, but you've also seen this transformation in other people where you see what happens when they go alcohol free. Can you give us a few examples of like what has happened to your clients after they have done all of this work and made this decision? Yes. And I think that's what really gives me so much passion to do what I'm doing is again, like I'm not interested in drinking cessation and just helping people to stop drinking for the sake of that. The reason why I'm so into this is because I've seen what happens when you do that. That's just the first step, right? And then your dreams and your drive just explode, right? So I'm I'm interested in helping people achieve their biggest dreams 
by letting go of what no longer serves them. It's kind of different than just like, okay, this is just a stop drinking kind of a thing. So some of my clients, like they literally give me goosebumps. They amaze me so much. I have a client who wrote a book. I have two clients who wrote books, actually. I have a client who, many clients who have launched businesses, clients who have become coaches themselves, who went and got certified and became coaches themselves and now are building their coaching businesses. I have a client who is going to move to France, like just pick up her whole life, quit her job, like leave it all behind and move to France with her family. Like that is one of those just like life bucket list things that she finally has not only the the drive to do, but the confidence to do, like just this aliveness for life. I have clients who've rented out or have bought in second vacation homes and are just fully immersed in their hobbies, like windsurfing and sailing. I have clients who have rekindled like marriages and really fall in love back with their partners. I have clients who have gotten off cholesterol medication, blood pressure medication, who have healed their type 2 diabetes. Like this is insane stuff. You know what I mean? Like these kind of transformations are so, so big. It, it just makes me feel like there's just so much here. Like not only do I have my clients evidence, I have so many other stories of people I know. There's something here. There's something about changing your relationship with alcohol that's way more than just waking up in the morning feeling better and you know being a little healthier on your on your health margins it's a huge life transformation and it doesn't matter what i've seen is the cool thing is you think like okay yeah if a if a really heavy drinker stops drinking of course their life will improve i've seen this happen for people who you'd call light drinkers too you know like it almost doesn't matter it's just so cool um, and that's what really my book is about. It's not necessarily like a, a book about, um, it's really a book about achieving your bigger dreams through making this change. Um, and I think that's like the message I really want to carry and kind of sets me apart sometimes in this niche that I'm in, um, because that's really what yeah. I'm on fire for. Well, know? let's talk about, I mean, personal transformation. I know we've, we've kind of gotten the beginning of your story and we've gotten hints of the fact that you're publishing this book and you're traveling all over the place, but like, what has it done for you? What are, what are you doing now, now that you are alcohol free? Yeah. So let's just like really paint this picture. I was 30 years old. I was stuck in a administrative management position in a higher ed edu place where I was literally told there was a ceiling for me if I didn't get a PhD. I was making like a very minimum medium kind of salary for, for the, where I live. Right. Um, I was drinking every weekend. I was not writing. I was not exploring my hobbies. I had very few friends too. Like I only had kind of the friends I had made when I was younger. I, I didn't know how to make new friends. Right. So this is the, the picture of me before I was, um, I'm still introverted obviously, but I was really insecure. And I was also a very jealous person. Like anyone who had a better life than me, anybody, I was immediately like jealous and judgmental of them too. So I remember being super judgmental of entrepreneurs, like, oh, what are they doing? Selling stuff. Instead of realizing that judgment was a layer of protection I was putting up to myself to not have to try, mm -hmm. to not have to do what I wanted to do and make a living. That was my before. My after, you know, I quit my day job within a year and a half of launching my own business. I work for myself. I make double what I make there. Like I'm making a huge impact. I'm a six-figure entrepreneur. Um, within that time, I got a book deal. And this book deal was insane to me. Like I read so many stories online of just the probability of ever getting a book agent, of ever getting a book deal, the average amount that you get during a book deal. All of the stuff I read just led to this like 
doom and despair that's not ever possible, right? And I just took every baby step after baby step. I started writing drafts of my book. I started writing a book proposal. I started sending it out to agents. And every baby step just turned into the next one. And I got an agent. And I got a book deal from Harper Collins. Like this is one of the second biggest publishing houses in the world. It published Mark Twain, the Bronte sisters, like Paulo Coelho. It is a huge, huge deal. And they gave me a six-figure book deal. And I'm just like, wait, everything you read online, like are just the things we hear or know, like or what possibilities for our lives, the rules don't apply. Like every situation is unique. And if you believe hard enough, you can achieve your biggest dreams. You know, so today I work with a team of, you know, three other people. I'm building my company. And what's really cool is now the person I used to envy that used to, you know, travel and work on their business, I am that person, you know, and that jealousy was only a clue for me that that's what I really wanted. So, you know, almost every month I'm in either like Puerto Vallarta, going to Hawaii next month. Um, I was in Tulum the other day, the other month I was in Europe, like exploring Poland and Spain. I am obsessed with traveling and this lifestyle allows me to do it, you know? Um, And there's more and it's going to get bigger and bigger. And I know it, you know, like my book comes out next year and I just want to make this a huge movement. I want to help as many people as I can. And I want to show also through my life that anything is possible, you know, because I was the most insecure person. I was the most unconfident person, right? Like I grew up foreign. Like I have these, I grew up with a lot of like, I was not the cool kid, right? If I can do this, there's literally nothing special about me. If I can do this, so can you. And it just takes following each baby step after baby step after baby step. And, you know, I think something that really discourages us is we see these big dreams. We see like something like writing a book or, or, or launching a business or something. And we see how much time it's going to take. Like, wow, it, it, it really takes an entrepreneur a few years to get successful. Those kind of like overnight success stories. You don't know what happened underneath it all the years of actually trying before that, right? It takes a while to get a business out of the red into the black. It takes a while to get a book out into the world. And we see that and we're just like, oh, it's going to take forever. Like, you know, I'm not going to get my immediate reward right away. And something I like to think of is like, you know, in five years, one thing will be true no matter what. Mm -hmm. Five years will have passed. So who cares if it takes you five years to achieve a goal or a dream? Like in five years, the time will have passed either way. So would you have been rather working on your greatest passion and getting fulfilled along the way of each baby step you take? Or would you rather be sitting on the sideline wishing and hoping that this magically will appear in your life but not doing anything about it? One way is really fulfilling and the other way is like damaging to our souls, you know? I have been dreaming of writing a book since I was a little kid. I suffered from the worst writer's block as a drinker. I literally never wrote at all. And I I'd wanted to. I tried. You know, every year it was a New Year's resolution to write more. And I started writing my first draft when I went alcohol free. I finally fell that creativity again. I could write again. And I started that in 2018. My book is coming out in 2022, right? That took four years of my life to do. I remember first, like when I was first alcohol free, I was like painting this like goals that I wanted for my life and and everything happened that next year everything amazing was like I'll get a book deal next year I'll go on a book tour I'll quit my job it all happened much slower but it all still happened right and I think that's the beautiful thing I think Tony Robbins is famous for saying it but maybe originally Bill Gates said it I'm not sure but it's this this quote that like we we overestimate what we can do in a year but we underestimate what we can do in a decade 
And I think too, when you go alcohol free and you, you mentioned that the journey isn't always linear and you might take breaks and go back and all this stuff, what it's teaching us is also perseverance and it's teaching us resilience and perseverance. And I fundamentally believe that your goals are possible. The only thing that's going to get in your way is giving up. The only thing that will get in your way, like literally that's really the game changer is not persevering. You know what I mean? Um, so that's where I am today. And like, I, like I still have to pinch myself. This is my life. I have a company, right? Like I travel whenever I want. It's insane. You know, like we're, we're hoping the next goal is that my husband um, leaves his day job and joins as my chief operating officer. I mean, that's these kind of fantastical um, dreams that I couldn't even envision yeah. for my life. You know, I used to think entrepreneurs were like tech geniuses that lived in Silicon Valley, not the Polish kid that was unconfident and like insecure. You know what I mean? It's just such a mind twist of what's possible. And I hope if anyone takes anything away, it's literally anything is possible. When you go after the first baby step and then you listen to the universe for the next one to come and the next one and the next one, and you will be amazed five years later where you've gone. Yeah. yeah. Great, great advice. Um, Carolina, where do you see yourself when you're 80? Ooh, I'm 80. <laughs> I'm 80. I'm living somewhere that just brings me the most joy. Like I love to go to farmer's markets every day. I love to be by a body of water. I love to be in nature. I love to also um, eat really, really good food. So who knows? Maybe I'm living in the south of France. Yes. And I'm still really healthy and vibrant and I love fresh produce and, and like the simple joys are really, really meaningful in my life, you know, things like that. But I also have a, a beautiful family and a rich network of friends. Um, I have had just a career that I can look back on and see multiple books that I wrote on a bookshelf that have literally millions of people have read. Um, I've touched millions of lives. I've helped a lot of people. And I feel this just fulfillment that the person who I could have been on this planet, the person who I could have become when I really achieve my full potential and I really step into the most servant leader version of myself, the version of myself that cares the most about making a difference and helping other people, that I came as close as I possibly could to that version of myself and that I don't look back and have regrets, really. I think that's the biggest thing. And then I showed that, you know, really anything is possible. I come from an immigrant family, like I said. And while my parents were professionals, uh, you know, like white collar professionals, there's still so many limits, you know, like you have to work the nine to five, you have to give your life away to the corporate. My parents didn't take vacations for like decades, you know, now they're so funny, they're vacationing everywhere all the time. But there was so little that was possible. And it's not like our parents or the generations before didn't master their beliefs. Like literally there was there was impediments in our way to having our dream lives. Like you could not many generations ago just launch a business on the internet, right? And make money on the internet. Like that's unfathomable. You could not publish a book if you were not highly connected with that, that kind of world. It's just insane how much has changed. You know, I was reading an article the other day that traveling around the world really wasn't a phenomenon until the 70s. You know, like we have that. We are like our parents and us are the first generation to have that ability. Yeah. Don't take all this stuff for granted. Yeah. Well, and travel just you know teaches I mean? you so much too. Like 
And I think it makes you a more empathetic human being because you're seeing how other people live and it's not the same as you, but you still see like you are the same. You are the same. Like we're all human. We're all people. We all want the same basic things in life. So, um, I mean, travel's fun, but I think, you know, it also gives us all of these other things that are also really important. So yeah, it is an incredible gift, like you said, that we should take advantage of for sure. Yeah. Well, and I love asking that question, you know, where are you going to be when you're 80? Because one, people have such different answers. We have some mutual friends. Um, there's an episode, I don't, I'm not sure if it'll come out before you or after you, but one of our mutual friends says they want to be a TikTok grandma. <laughs> And they're spreading joy on TikTok being this, you know, which is, which is fun. I mean, but it just shows you that like everybody has different gifts and different ways that they can make an impact on the world. But really the question is, are you moving closer to that or are you just staying where you're at? And I think I love what you said about the five years, because like you said, the five years are going to pass or not. And I think the question is like, do you want to get closer to that vision that you have of where you could be when you're 80? Or are you just going to stay where you're at? Because it's still going to take the same amount of time to get there. It's just, are you going to start now? Or are you going to start later? Or are you never going to start? You know, And that is a choice that we all have. Oh, exactly. That's so well put. You know. Well, Carolina, this has been so much fun. And I feel like you have given us so many good nuggets and things to think about. Do you have any parting words for us or maybe anything we haven't talked about that you think we should touch on? I think there's a part of you that knows what you want. I think we often go through life feeling like we don't know, like we're, you know, everyone else has it figured out and whatever, but there's clues. There are clues, you know, maybe it's someone you're jealous of. Maybe it's some judgments you've formed around other people. Maybe it's this knowing that like, wow, I do feel better when I don't drink. Maybe it's this knowing that I have a gift and I have a message and I have a story that could inspire other people. There's a deeper part of us that whether you call it your higher self, your intuition, maybe your connection to God or the universe, you know, however you describe it, they're always, always within you, right? And it's just sometimes a matter of clearing the clutter to be able to hear that better and or listening harder and or just really getting silent to know that. But I believe in that infinite wisdom that we all carry. And they have the next right step for you. Like, you'll know the next right step, you know? And then <laughs> the other side of it is your fear. And the fear will try to stop you from doing anything mm -hmm. new, basically. And that's what you said is, like, in this five-year trajectory, you can either move forward mm -hmm. or stay stuck, stay in the same place. And that might seem comfortable because you know it. It's familiar. You've been there before. You know the shape yeah. of it. But it's also the most painful. There's nothing more painful than staying stuck in your comfort zone. So it's going to require new things, new thinking, new ways of being. That's what makes life yeah. really thrilling, you know? Like we get to grow here. We get to become and evolve into different people. We are not the same person we were when we were 20 or 30 or whatever. Like it is our life's mission to keep growing yeah, and evolving. I agree completely. How exciting. Where can people find you if they want to learn more, connect with you, find out more about your book? We all need to read it when it comes out. How do people do that? What's the best way to connect with you? Awesome. You can find all that good stuff at euphoricaf.com. Perfect. And we will put that in the show notes too so people have that. Um, well, Carolina, it has been such a joy chatting with you. Thank you for sharing your story and all of your wisdom. I think people are really going to enjoy this. So, Thank you, Stephanie, for the opportunity. I love talking with you. 
What did you think? As I mentioned earlier, there is a comment section on my website, stephaniekirklandart.com slash podcast. Click this episode, go to the bottom. I would love to know what you think. Please leave a comment. The other thing I want to remind you of is that Carolina's book is available for pre-order now. And I would highly recommend that you do that because if you pre-order her book, which means you go ahead and order it now, pay for it, and then it will be sent to you in January when the book is made available to the public. If you go ahead and pre-order now, then you can get nearly $500 worth of extra bonuses that she is including special to people who pre-order the book. So here's a few things that come with the bonuses if you pre-order. So she has a masterclass about the life-changing magic of taking a break, um, how to rock a party alcohol-free, the foodie's guide to mocktails, which is something that I could certainly benefit from. I consider myself a foodie. An ebook about how to rock a party alcohol-free. Just a ton of very practical and helpful things for anyone who is thinking about taking a break from alcohol. So all of that is also available to anyone who pre-orders the book. So you can do that by going to her website, which is euphoricaf.com. And I will also include those links in the show notes for you to check it out and learn more about Carolina and her book. Let me know what you think, and I will see you in the next episode.